exactly. Listen, one way or the other, this this episode is going to come out. All right. Well. Welcome to Two Guys in a Wedding, a podcast where we attempt to become the perfect wedding guests using the only educational, (laughs) using the only educational material we will ever need, movies. All right, I'm Chris. I'm Josh. Uh, Chris, there is no movie I've looked forward to less than the one we're about to talk to today. I feel like you've loved or at least liked pretty much every movie we've done. So it's good to hear that you also don't like Love Actually. (laughs) So uh, I will say I thought I was going to dislike it more than I thought I would. Because I've seen it once the full way through, and then I've seen just clips revisiting it. Even as like a teen when I saw this, I was like not that hot about it. So in right. thinking my memories that I had on it back then, I was like, oh, this movie fucking sucks. Um, it's all right. It's not as bad as I thought it was, it was. But I think, yeah, it's it's not definitely not one of my favorites so far. I think that a lot of people will like forgive it for all of its flaws because it's so easy. They're like, they're, they want to buy into it. It is a classic. It's a, it's a traditional holiday movie in American culture, funnily enough. I guess. I, I think there are more traditional ones. I think people default more. Uh, definitely part of the mix, but I don't I don't know. It's even top tier for most people. So for all, those of you who don't know, we're doing Love Actually today. Woo. And Love Actually is a Christmas time rom-com. It's featuring about 10 different storylines with a big ensemble cast. And the storylines are kind of connected through characters. Mm-hmm. So they interlink for the most part, but usually just through the characters. One of the things is like, oh my gosh, he knows that person. Oh, whoa, I'm amazed. Exactly. Oh, they're, they're friends or family. Also, it's a, a British film. Yes. For, again, for those of you who don't know. United so it takes Kingdom. Place in England. Yes. United Kingdom. Part of it takes place in uh, France, though. It does, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So this, again, big ensemble cast, a lot of different storylines. Only one out of these ten, a tenth of this movie <laughs> is actually wedding related. There's one wedding storyline. We'll be covering that for the most part. And we'll also dip into the other storylines you know, for things that we find interesting or just want to complain about. I think that's how we're going to tackle this one. Yeah, there's lots lots of uh, loose baggage we can cut from this one, guys. We're probably going to cut this entire intro, for example. So you've got- yeah, we'll probably start. This maybe overall this episode will be about 10, 15 minutes. I want this seconds. to be a three-hour podcast now. As we talk <laughs> minute by minute about these different storylines and, and about our hypothetical re-edits of this movie, of which I, I immediately want to talk about. So, yeah, there is the the wedding thing that we're... that which is why this movie's on this list. But honestly, I think this movie should have been re-edited. So it's just the Hugh Grant storyline and the Liam Neeson storyline. It should have just, you, you like those storylines. Those are the only solid ones. And they're the only characters that I give a shit about. Liam Neeson is a stepfather recently widowed uh, with his son. And he's trying to help him with his uh, romantic troubles. And then Hugh Grant is a recently, is it Hugh Grant, Hugh Laurie? No, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. He's a recently elected prime minister who is a bachelor. He's charming because he's Hugh Grant. And he falls in love with an assistant that he has. And it's semi-charming. And they're the most likable characters in this movie. And it should have been re-edited to just be about them. See, I don't like either of those Whoa. plot lines. Wow, okay. The only actual plot line that I enjoy is the aging rock star one. I think that, that one's funny. Okay. I, I, I yeah, because... Like well, because again, the whole movie—it's—it's it's a romantic comedy, right? It's all about love. It mm-hmm. actually opens up with a monologue about love and you know, loving and nine eleven too. For some reason, yeah, it drops <laughs> nine uh, eleven reference in. It's—it was made in two thousand three, so yeah. it's a couple years after nine eleven. It, it does it tastefully, I guess. Yes. Mm. Who cares? But the aging rock star plot line is basically 
he there's a re-edit of one of his popular like really huge yes. pop songs from back in the Think day Mick Jagger except he's more washed up exactly and he they re-edit for a Christmas single and they want to get it to number one and the whole plot line is about them going around him and his manager trying to push that it should be number one it's not that big of a, a storyline but I think it's the funniest and most honest and there's also about platonic love between him and his manager um which is again for this movie I think all of the romantic love in this movie blows like it's bad including the prime minister and his secretary it's better than fucking Colin Firth who falls in love with a housemaid after two days and they don't speak the same language it's better than that but <laughs> just just barely just barely <laughs> That one's terrible, and that one is part of the like the technique of manipulating the audience because they do a lot of like love movie tropes and cliches, and they look at each other, and you can tell they're falling for each other. They're both and the wet. Music swells. You know, they get they get wet, and they gotta dry each other off. And they get wet. And they, <laughs> oh yeah, and then they gotta give each other warm cups of cocoa, and then like they drive home together, and that's when they fall in love. Even though again, they literally don't understand a single fucking word that each other is saying. Um, and if you think about it for more than five seconds, then you'll realize how terrible and shallow that relationship is. Yes. And how it's doomed immediately. Well, it's doomed immediately. They don't, they don't know anything about each other, anything about each other's culture. They don't talk. They have no communication skill. Any relationship that has zero communication before you get married, it's probably not going to work out. So but we'll, we'll get into <laughs> that stuff after you cover the actual wedding thing, because the, the one plot line that is wedding related. A few of the characters we're seeing, including uh, Colin Firth, who shows up to a wedding, and it's a wedding between Kira Knightley and uh, her husband to be Pete or Peter Chitwell Chitwell Ejiofor. This, this is driving me crazy. I have to look it up. Love Chitwell Ejiofor. I think you know, I'm butchering his name. Do live fact checks. Podcast. Fi- he's, he's a good actor too. This movie has actors that will then like move on to have good careers. Oh, he is in The Martian, so yes, he's an amazing actor. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, The Martian. That's exactly what I was. Chiwetel Ejio Four. Yeah, I don't know, but we'll just call him Pete, even though that may or may not be his character name. His character name is just Peter. That's that's fine. We open up with them at this the the church where they're going to get married. He's with his sort of best man. It's like ambiguous. I assume it's his best um, man. What Mark. are you talking about? He's up there. Yeah, but we, he never says it is. We, he's no, the I only, obsessively the only friend that we know of in this man's life. In Pete's life, he's his one and only best friend, Rick Grimes. Listen, we've, we've gone over this. There is a weird, in a lot of wedding movies, there is a weird gray zone where there is only one dude, but they have never referred to as the best man, and they don't look like they do any I best think, man stuff. I think, no, they talked about the stag party the night before, which I assume, even in British culture, the best man helps run. The only reason why I hesitate to call him a best man is because other than the stag party line, which is like a dumb joke that they make, Yeah. Uh, although I guess it happened in their world, he he also just does weird stuff that I think are... Things we've complained about at other weddings. So it's like weird for the best man to be doing this. He's literally holding a camcorder the whole fucking time. Yes. And Although they do confirm that they that wasn't his job. It, like they did have an actual camera crew there that like fucked it up somehow. And so yeah. he just weirdly also had his own personal camera out. I get, yeah, exactly. If it was his job, that'd be weird enough where it's like, what, he has a single camcorder. That evidently he was using for exactly one purpose and one purpose only, which we will get to later. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird. You don't don't have your cameras out. God forbid if you're part of the wedding party or even if you're the best man or maid of honor or whatever. For God's sakes, don't have a camera. Yeah, out. just what have you your doing? fucking iPhone right in front of Dylan's face. 
I'm live streaming yeah. this, Dylan. See, so hide everybody on Twitch. <laughs> oh, come on, guys, get get some likes going in the comments. They have a little moment together, and it's revealed they're at the the ceremony. Yes, Kira Knightley walks in, gorgeous Kira Knightley, mm-hmm, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The dress she's wearing, awful. The suits <laughs> they're wearing, awful. This is 2003. Everything looks. Some awful. people aren't even wearing suits. They're wearing like military jackets in the in, sitting in the crowd. It's terrible. Well, we'll get to the crowd in a second because they go up, they say their vows, and obviously everything goes fine. He says uh, before the ceremony, he asks, "Hey, Mark, no surprises." He's like, "No surprises," because so you know a surprise. That's apparently his best friend Mark's like things like, "Oh, I surprise people. Oh, I'm a crazy best friend. <laughs> I'm always I'm always surprising and tricking." When they're walking out of the after the ceremony, they're walking down the aisle, getting ready to leave. Then a a, a chorus starts to sing. And a singer comes out and they sing a very a, expensive song that we cannot hum uh, on. This we can't podcast. even hum we it. We can't even hum it. We already talked we'll to our get charged about it. so yeah. much money. They, they start to sing and then different people start to stand up and play instruments. There's like a guy playing guitar up there by the chorus and like in the rafters. Then people in the crowd have like trombones and saxophones. So is this the original like flash mob movie or flash mob wedding thing? Because I feel like it is. I can't. I can't believe that's true. Only because I can't believe anything is original in this movie. <laughs> that I maybe, but I I really think that they stole it from something. So here's the thing. So Rick Grimes, I keep saying Rick Grimes because he is from The Walking Dead. He's Rick Grimes. Um, he's the best man, and he uh, plans this impromptu f- musical flash mob of seeing a very expensive song uh, that again we cannot uh, hum. And <laughs> can't even mention. Can't the name. even mention can't who even it's by. The name. We, we dare not even think it. The band who must not be named. And so he arranges this thing. I feel like a flash mob music thing should happen before the ceremony, not immediately after, because they're literally trying to walk out out of the church at this point. It's done. It's over. And then it happens. I feel like this is something that would happen pre-wedding. What do you think? What do you think about flash mob performances pre or post-wedding, Chris? I Well, I don't think they belong pre or post-wedding. Gun to your all. head. It's got to be pre or post. I think post. If I, yeah. if I had oh, to really? pick something. Okay. Yeah, because you don't want... You don't want to steal the thunder of the ceremony before it happens. Uh-huh. Or if you totally drop the ball and fuck up, you don't want to do that before and then have like sort of a bad taste leading in to the ceremony. I think it's just kind At of awkward at- for them to be standing in the aisle trying to leave and just waiting and they need to watch this whole performance. I guess in either case, whether it's before or after, it's it's awkward, but I think it's a right. little bit stranger uh, after. I was going to say, I think it's terrible no matter what, but if I had to choose... <laughs> I would say after. At the very least, they can leave. Do you know what I mean? Mm, if yeah. it's really bad, they can like scoot away and then the crowd just has to deal with it. They still have to be but at the be- wedding afterwards. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if they do it before, there's no escape. <laughs> it's like it's too late. So people stand up in the crowd and they, tons of people are involved in this surprise, mm-hmm. which had me asking, are half these people strangers and are just professional musicians? They do mention the guitar guy by name. So it's they like, do? oh, so that he must be. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's spiky or something. <laughs> Which uh, they they throw his name. I think they literally say Spiky. So it's like, oh, that's a friend of theirs who can play guitar, which is fine. Whatever. One friend of theirs playing guitar. It's okay to have sense. one friend to play guitar, not multiple. <laughs> well, they are not. There's no hint that these are like a, a friend group of mu- musicians. So they have so many people in this crowd had not only have instruments, but play them well, uh, like well enough to do an impromptu I'm, thing. I'm less likely to believe all those uh, brass players and woodwind players know how to play their instruments well. Maybe maybe it was like a, a lip syncing kind of thing. Those are just fake or very cheap instruments, and the, it's actually playing over the PA 
in the. You uh, mean in the world? Yeah, in the world. <laughs> the, the, the actual instrumental parts are playing over over the PA, so that way that's possible. They're just they're just uh, you know uh, mimicking. But even if those are cheap instruments, that's like he, well, he had to rent all those instruments. I mean, and I guess he owns out. an an art gallery. He probably knows a few people. This? Do you think he owned that art gallery? Mm, if he doesn't own it, he at least like runs the different exhibitions in it. You know what I mean? Mark the best man. His job is that he either owns an art gallery or runs an art gallery or, or space, works in an art gallery or, or, or space. Yeah. I mean, he's mega rich. Everyone in this movie is again another checkbox off the bingo card. Uh, I was gonna say that's that's what if he did rent all that stuff or hire musicians or whatever. Again, an important lesson for people who want to be the best wedding guest: just be rich. <laughs> be rich going into this. I again, we talked about this in Rec too, mm-hmm. which is Rec. Sorry, Rec Three as well. Yes. Which is that if you're gonna pull a stunt like this, you have to really you're gonna have to nail it, and you have to know that everyone's gonna like too much it. pressure. Too, too, much too much room pressure. for error, especially during these crazy holiday times. People got people are busy. There's probably at least one understudy in there. He couldn't make it. During the rehearsal for this surprise bit, they cut somebody. Yeah, and then they're like, what the fuck are we going to do without the saxophonist? I, I know another guy. He's not going to know the parts. He's not going to know the choreography. It's going to be ruined. This could have backfired hugely on Mark, but thankfully it didn't. So you don't you don't actually notice this. This is a very subtle detail, especially for two thousand three. Okay. But in the corner, you see this sort of ripped, bald guy <laughs> wearing a black, tight black T-shirt, and it's actually J.K. Simmons' character from Whiplash, <laughs> and he's responsible for setting up this surprise. And they did cut that person, and he cut him by throwing the altar at that person. Yes, he is dead, mm-hmm. non-related. He's dead, yeah, non-J.K. Simmons related, but or not. We'll get that's another plot thread that I don't think we have time to to talk about. We don't have time to get into it, but J.K. Simmons, his character from Whiplash, does make an appearance in Love Actually. That is canon. That that's locked in. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Whiplash, Joshua? Uh, no, because I am too scared of how real it is. I okay, not because like my jazz teacher was not like that whatsoever. It's fictional. It, it, it's fictional. Joshua. It is. It is fictional, but not for me, because I have too many. <laughs> My my jazz my jazz guitar teacher was not like that whatsoever, but I did have intense jazz jazz related lessons that are are too I I can't I can't go there. Um, they got like really upset. Uh, so he got upset with me a couple times, and like it, not to the point that I was like you know suicidal or crying or like you know have mental trauma about it, but like I can paste myself into that too easily. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I I, I understand where you're coming from. I I recently watched. As well as watching tons of rom-coms, uh, I recently dipped into two new movies I hadn't seen before. Whiplash and Midsummer were the two movies. And uh, I liked both of them. thought they were both great. But uh, I don't have experience with I don't think I've ever had a teacher, even when I was playing like music, I don't think I ever had a teacher that was that brutal. Well, about it, it. Neither did I. It's just that because of the subject and because of just like... Very certain, very certain terms, I can like paste my little face onto Miles Teller and be like, oh man... I don't want J.K. Simmons to to fucking beat the shit out of me, please no. Who is ripped, by the way? Let's let's say that again. J.K. Simmons in that movie, fierce. Yeah. No spoilers for either Midsummer or Whiplash, obviously, <laughs> but you know right out of the gate, J.K. Simmons is ripped. He's jacked, and you have to wonder how. And he spends so much of his time teaching, like conducting and it's from hitting all the kids and music <laughs> hitting all those students it really i guess works, yeah works you up do. some muscle mass miles teller does get very sweaty playing those drums that's true so maybe jk simmons is gets very sweaty yelling at people so he's there conducting the wedding the conducting the band. he's there conducting the wedding that's old to say that jk simmons is part of the love actually universe right it's part of that canon now we keep on intercutting to a bunch of different other plot lines including the plot line where Colin Firth 
he goes to this one. He's uh, married or in a relationship or something. He goes to this wedding and he doesn't bring his partner with him because she's feeling sick. He goes home uh, afterwards or between the uh, ceremony and the reception to find out that she's been cheating on him with his brother. Oh, man. <gasps> and the only reason I want to bring this up is because he the excuse he walks in and sees his brother and the excuse his brother gives him is, like, oh, I thought I'd pop over and borrow a couple CDs. And very 2003 answer, brother of Colin. Well, okay, Farrell. I guess yeah, very dated <laughs> answer. But one of my favorite moments is Colin first. Like he's totally makes sense to Colin, so he's like, okay, cool. And he grabs just like a CD and goes, oh, this this should be good. And gives him a CD. Like <laughs> this should be good. What kind of answer? The guy didn't even specify what kind of CD. Maybe he this, wanted something specific. To all our Zoomers out there, this is before Spotify playlists. This is before you know what ha- your your uh, SoundCloud. Uh, links that you would send out uh, when you would get a random uh, unnamed CD from your brother. You just took that at face value back then. You're like, okay, this will suit my needs. It's not even a mix CD. It's just like some CD he pulled off the CD rack. He doesn't even mention what band it is. Like what this will be or good for your CD needs. Yes. This is also just before 2003 is before most people had an understanding of the internet. Apparently, the internet, either, or because... I would even assume a digital library. Like they, you just yeah. you were just playing CDs. You didn't even upload them to anything. Uh, yeah, you're just playing CDs. But also, you, people were not even using. Colin Firth types out a novel he's working on on a typewriter, and it seems practical for him. It's not that I don't know. Like, even then, that that seems dumb. Like we had it al- does seem dumb. We had Alpha Smarts back then. You remember those, Chris? Those are just keyboards that you type Word documents in. He could have done that, but no, he had to fucking write it on typewriter, and then t- all, no, it's all, important for his plot. Line. All of his pages went into the to the into the lake, and his hot uh, maid had to get undressed to go save his pages. He saw a lower back tattoo of her, and he knew it was love. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess it was the will of the force. He sees the lower back tattoo, which is very funny, and his <laughs> pages go into the. It's it's funny because it's just like oh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there may or may not have been like a musical up like cue right there, like a couple up notes. Like, mm-hmm. There is in my brain now. Uh, Here's the thing. If you're a writer, it's important to write on a typewriter uh, because then people can physically see the work you're doing. If you're just using a computer, it looks like you're doing nothing but browsing the web. But if you have the physical pages out, people know you're up to something. If people can't tell you're writing, then what's the point of writing, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we then go to the ceremony. Everything about this wedding is pretty, like, early 2000s dated. Like, even the ceremony, it's like, whatever. It's not important. Mm Mm-hmm. There's nothing interesting that happens except for Mark is asked by another ensemble character, Lord Lenny, if Lord Lenny, if he happens to be in love with Peter. She's like, "Are you in love with Peter?" I thought I'd ask. I thought I'd ask. He like immediately says no, which is funny because it's like, "Well, he's your best friend. You could just be like, yeah, I love, I love my friend.' Like, you know." But he gets like super defensive, which made me think he was in love with Peter. <laughs> exactly. Which when I originally saw this movie, I thought that was that, and then I thought it was it was interesting that he was actually, you know, spoilers for the next uh, end of this podcast, guys. Uh, he's in love with Kira Knightley. Surprise, surprise. And so when I was younger, I was like, oh, that was a nice surprise because I thought immediately, yeah, it's a story about him being in love with his best friend. But nah, no, it wasn't. No, man, this movie doesn't have the balls to do something like that. It's so weak. So much of this movie is weak in that regard. Ken doesn't have the balls to do that. (laughs) You are in love with Chetwick, whatever his name is. Um, I, very, a Geo Four. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to mention is that all these characters, ostensibly, apparently, are friends. Lord Lenny is there. Colin Firth is there. Um, and like, I think the movie could have actually used a little bit more of them being friends as just a way to glue everything together. I guess there were just too many other 
unimportant, un, just not interesting characters for us to spend time with. But it is interesting that they, yeah, go, they could have cut some. They stuff. go out of their way to be like, oh yeah, these guys are all friends and they all hang out together, maybe. And I thought that was interesting, considering just other movies of this vein, like Valentine's Day, like there's slight connections like, oh, yeah, you're my florist or something like that. But it's, they don't be like, oh, yeah, we all hang out all, when, when we're not going through these holiday hijinks. So I thought that would have been cool. If, yeah, I thought it would have been cool if it, if it had been. So, again, re-edit of this movie on its way. Love Actually Machete version uh, coming, coming out soon. Yeah, well, we're going to cut some stuff. We're going to add some stuff. Oh, hell yeah. After the ceremony, it's sort of established that Peter thinks that Mark doesn't like his wife. Doesn't like Elizabeth Swan. No, doesn't like her one bit. He even says, like, I think he calls him up on the phone and he's like, hey, uh, like, whatever, uh, Kirsten Wig, <laughs> Elizabeth Swan, whatever, or Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, Kira Elizabeth Knightley, Swan. Yeah. <laughs> Kira Knightley's like, oh, Kira Knightley has a favor. I'm going to put her on the phone, be nice to her. And he's like, what are you talking about? And, like, I guess it's established that they, he's never really warmed up to her is, is an issue there. Which, you know, if, if your best friend, you want him to, I guess, warm up to your wife, I suppose. I mean, theoretically, they should have had this conversation before the wedding. Yeah. You know. Once if there was a good reason he didn't warm up to her. She like, is a Look. racist. Yeah. Yeah. He, or He wouldn't have never expected like, that. Exactly. No no idea that it was coming. It's like, hey, look, man, I didn't want to say anything, but I saw her drown a kitten. <laughs> we were just like walking in a park and she just drowned a kitten. Any and I don't reason think you, you would think she, for her to legitimately drown a kitten, there was none. For as, none, for as none few there. as there are, there is none. It wasn't a mercy killing at all. The kitten was fine. He puts her on the phone. She says, hey, look, the professional wedding videographer fucked up the color you put a filter uh, on tone yeah. yeah put a filter on it whatever uh, all my dresses look turquoise i noticed that you were filming during the ceremony and stuff do you mind if i have some of that footage i just like a decent you know shot of me in my dress Give me that footy. again my terrible looking dress <laughs> i don't have that many opinions on what i think a good looking dress is but i can tell a bad looking one when i see it you know we're just like ugh, what's going on what's up, what's up with the, the details on this thing so that nah, doesn't look good and he goes, oh, you know what? I don't think I actually have any good footage of you. I think I might have erased it or whatever. I didn't really take good shots. He doesn't want to share it with her. That should be the end of that, by the way. Like when someone says, oh, yeah, I think I like overwrote it or like I wiped my hard drive. But for some reason, she doesn't believe him. Well, she doesn't believe him because she thinks that she's he's giving her the cold shoulder that like he doesn't want to help her out or whatever. What's weird, though, is that if she does think that, why would she also then go? But for sure, he kept that footage of me. <laughs> You know, it, the mm-hmm. logic there doesn't make any sense. But the movie, Joshua, the movie has to continue. It has There's to. no other it option. It must. Here. So she shows up randomly at his apartment. Mm-hmm. Rude. With some food, she, peace offering. You want, you want a pastry of some type? Yeah, I don't know. It's like a banana pudding toffee cake, uh, pie that she shows they up with. They eat that all the time over there, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's like a British dessert, whatever. <laughs> I don't... Look... Not to shit on British food. Look, my dad's English. Yes. Okay. I, I grew up on a lot of English food. Look up that pie. Doesn't look appealing. But I also don't like banana cream pie in general. So whatever. So he doesn't either. He's like, no, I'm good. And she she barges his. <laughs> he, he just wants her out. Yeah. He wants her well, out. Okay. Of the Obviously, like, he, it's not like an angry kind of expression when he sees her. It's just like kind of awkward. He's like, oh, hey, yeah. Um, yeah, whatever. Cool. He's just short with her. It's awkward, short. Yeah, but she, I guess, correctly, talk. like, takes that as like, oh, he really doesn't like me. So she she 
pushes her way inside. She just barges in. It's like, well, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more because, you know, uh, whatever his name is, is my husband now and you're his best friend. And I'd really like us to at least have like an amicable footing, which is reasonable. Yeah. And she says, can we just have a look for the tape? And he insists that it doesn't exist or it's been destroyed or overwritten or whatever. She finds it in one second. She finds it in a second. He just put it right there in the living room on a shelf with a bunch of other VHSs. He didn't even try to hide it, which I don't understand. So here's here's the thing. As as we discovered, they they play it and very slowly she discovers these are all just glamour shots of me. This guy's in love with me. Uh, But here's my advice to people who take videos of your best friend's wife on their wedding day that are exclusively of his wife for your own twisted, presumably perverted needs. Um, Don't label it as something that someone would be able to recognize <laughs> be, be like oh home vi- balto uh, number two or something like that Just home videos from 1991 don't label it as the thing that you don't want people to look for that's my advice i uh, yeah i 100 agree it's weird that he literally labeled it exactly what it was and put it out in the open yeah. just assuming his friend would never visit ever they, he, he might really... as well writ, written on the label i'm in love with uh kira knightley now i guess i don't think you should fall in love with your partner's what you know bride-to-be mm-hmm. girlfriend whatever obviously that, that goes without saying right. if you are going to be recording a wedding <laughs> like that though and you're zooming in and doing very intimate close-up shots of only one person. I mean, A, you should be mixing it up just to, like, have plausible deniability. Get, get a smokescreen going. But also, what kind of bizarro, unhealthy behavior is this? It's, where he's in love with this woman and he just, like, keeps a tape of her around that he, I guess, watches on his own? Even if it's non-sexual, it's fucking unhealthy and was weird. Was he waiting for an opportunity to just be videotaping her for a whole day? You know what I mean? Where it's like, finally, the one good thing about this wedding is that I'm going to have an excuse to videotape Kira Knightley for tw- for like a whole day. Did he establish maybe earlier on in their friendship that like when he started dating her and he realized how much he was in love with her, but he couldn't do anything? Did he try to establish himself as like, I'm the videotaping guy. <laughs> I like videotape the things we do. And that way he can like kind of get away with it. And his friend's like, yeah, I guess he's kind of gotten into, you know, videotaping. Yeah, exactly. I, I would have had that tape next to lots of other things of just randomly taping things that don't matter. Uh, cl- close ups of, of strangers. Here's here's an entire cl- close up of my aunt Stacy. Uh, that's not weird at all. It's just my artistic lens. I'm an artist. Or just label label the actual VHS like tax documents or something. That way people wouldn't look into it because they're like, oh, it's just his she tax She finds documents. it immediately, <laughs> dude. <laughs> just have it unlabeled. She wouldn't have picked that tape. Probably not. Yeah, just have it be a blank tape. And then that way nothing would happen. So she watches it, slowly realizes that he's in love with her. And she says something that I think is important. She says... You never talk to me. Which then me, I, as an audience member, I go, then why is he in love with her? He has no sense of, he, oh, she's just hot. She's hot. First, we've, That's we've what already she established feels. with the Colin Firth storyline, love goes beyond the needing to, to know someone. You just love someone. <laughs> Again, 90% of these plots, actually, I think straight up 80% of the plot lines in this movie are all about lack of communication or no communication, either leading to love or falling out of love. Liam Neeson's son does, has never talked to the girl that he's in love with. He's nine, but still. His like emotional maturity is represented across the board for everybody yes. because everybody is just very shallow feelings towards the person they're supposedly super in love with. Mm-hmm. The only exceptions to this, there's two exceptions. The aging rock star, yes. because he does say at the end when they have like their platonic love moment, he does say, you know what? Like, 
I could just be at some party with a bunch of half naked chicks, but I want to be here with you. Like we've, I've spent my entire life with you and I realized that, you know, we're, we're, I'm madly in love with my friend. Yeah, you know? which like, also, not romantic there's anymore. no reason why he wouldn't be there either. And that was one thing that I thought about where like at the end of that storyline, he's, he's like, I'm going to go have a party with Alton John. And then his manager friend's a little sad because he's leaving. Why wouldn't the manager go too? I'm sure tons of people's managers go to famous people's parties. I think it's not his scene. I, I mean, you're you're right that why would he just show up with him? Yeah, but you're invited like, too, buddy. But yeah, it's it's yeah. nice to have a quiet uh, Christmas alone with your platonic love friend who's uh, who's obsessively been there your their entire lives. Exactly. Yeah. He does say uh, as the options, he's like, look, if it gets to number one, you know, I'm either going to be that loser rock star who drinks in his flat, is like dingy flat with his fat manager, or I'm going to go to a, a bunch of hot parties. Self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Well, right, right. I think that comment, though, kind of sours. He's like, oh, that's what, he, you know, again, like he keeps on hitting that same note with me. Mm-hmm. I guess we're not really that close. But then eventually, you know, he's wrong. They are that close. I think that, that is a little weird that he thinks that he isn't that close to the, to, to <laughs> the agent rock star after he's apparently known him for like 40 years. It's like, oh, I guess he doesn't really like me. Like, really, dude? This whole time? <laughs> the, uh, here's the thing. They should have given that plot line way more airtime and fleshed them out even more. Because yeah. despite how small it is. It is the best one. Uh, then the other one that is old, that is good communication. There is a plot line featuring two characters that are like porn stand-ins. Yes. So they stand in to get the set ready for a porn shoot, um, which being a stand-in is very common. I assume it's a porn shoot, but being a stand-in is very common for the film and television industry because it's very expensive to have people on set to have people stand. Got to get that lighting right. Got to get those shots right. Exactly. Uh, I don't know about porn stand-ins though i don't think that's it true, could have been porn but... it could have been like softcore porn stand-ins you know but are they covered underneath the whole reason why you need stand-ins for film and television is because of like guild rules and stuff mm-hmm. where like they'll get paid a certain amount of, like a certain amount of money because of the unions are like enforcing this stuff i don't think that's the case for porn but maybe softcore porn in 2003 that was the case yeah, i've maybe. I don't know. I'm not involved in that industry. It could have been a sex scene. I get. That's the thing. It could have been like just a a sex scene of a movie, which potentially I don't know. Every time they're at work, because we see see them at work getting to know each other, and this is the best part about their plot line is that the the more shallow aspects of the other ones are stripped away because they are literally naked half the time. Mm -hmm. They are engaged with each other, and they're just having conversation. So the the shallow aspects of the other plot lines don't apply to them because they they don't really care. I mean, they might be attracted to each other, but that's irrelevant to them getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And eventually they get together. If this is just a sex scene in a normal movie, though, I mean, it's like like multiple weeks worth of shots for the sex scene. And it gets very graphic. It's a very brave film, Chris. Yeah, this film is definitely definitely Lars von Trier. It's going to sweep the the nation uh, when it gets back from Cannes. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So that I think that one's a good one too because they sort of get to know each other. Not really given a lot of airtime. It's not a great plot line, but at least they get to know each other. Yeah, they have the other one conversation after the other. They ask each other out, even, and then you know maybe this relationship can go somewhere, and then it would make sense. Not I'm in love with you. Let's get married. Um, also, <laughs> maybe I speak your language. I don't know. This is the first time I'm ever speaking to you in in a even remotely similar language to yours. It's love, Chris. Just don't don't think about it. Let's just knock out the rest of this fucking <laughs> wedding the stuff wedding thing. because oh god. The next thing is the maybe most iconic scene from this movie. Yes, I think right. Mm-hmm. It's the he shows up on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas. I can't. I think it's on Christmas Eve. I'm gonna say Christmas. Oh, whatever. Eve. 
Christmas or Christmas the, the, Eve. The vanishing line between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you know, it's another topic altogether. We're going to have to record a two-hour po- podcast about that. Like, <laughs> when is Christmas? You know, who knows? What is Christmas? I don't think this is going to be complicated. This We have to start a whole new podcast <laughs> to cover this. But he shows up, pretends he's carolers. She answers the door, which, by the way, he knocks on the door. She's with Peter. It's at post-honeymoon. They're hanging on the couch. Thank God she answers the door because <laughs> if his friend answered the door, how the fuck is he going to explain like, himself? Hey, what are all those cards that you have there, uh, best friend? Yeah. What do they say? Let's take a look at those. That's weird. Yeah. That'd, that'd be devastating. But as luck would have it, she answers the door. He says, pretend it's, he has a sign that says, just say it's carolers. He puts on some music to pretend it's He's carolers. He's got a little beatbox there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he, um, yeah, he beatboxes for her for about 15 <laughs> minutes and she falls in love with him. She's like, my God, the skills. I'm leaving him now. Yeah, he puts down some cardboard to do some break dancing too. <laughs> and he, and then after he does, he, after he does a ton of break dancing, he goes, enough, enough. <laughs> so he shows her the cards, very Bob Dylan esque. Yeah, and he, yeah, the little cards with the uh, what's it called, fucking subterranean something blues, basically. Uh, there's a re-edit he, of this scene with that song playing, subterranean <laughs> homesick blues. Yeah. Of course, I would hope so. He he goes through the cards, basically explains to her that he loves her and he will always love her. But that's that you know. But he doesn't. I I don't know. I don't even remember the cards ever saying anything he like, says, like this is never gonna without work. hope or agenda or some shit like that. I think on one of the cards. Let me just say without hope or agenda, like I love you or something like that. Yeah, and it's it's a it's dumb because it's like this is your friend, the love of your friend's life. They just got married. Don't even taint this water. Just move on. Yeah. Like move on with your life. It's okay that you maybe had feelings for her, but it, it's inappropriate to pursue those feelings or to not deal with those feelings. Yeah. Or to give them to someone else or to share them with, with her, obviously. Yeah. And he, he says something where it's like, it's Christmas and on Christmas you tell the truth. That's one of the cards. That's a line now, throughout the movie. Someone says, it's Christmas blank. You, you got to do this. Got to do this on Christmas. Now that that line's gotten a lot of flack. This this whole movie and the scene specifically have gotten parodied and broken down like a ton of different times, and that that line gets torn apart because it's like it's on Christmas you tell the truth. What? <laughs> I actually think uh, that line there's more truth to it than people give it credit for, because on Christmas you do tell the truth. Whether that's because you're very frustrated with your family situation and you get to a yelling match, or you get a little too drunk and tell everybody how you really feel on Christmas, you accidentally tell the truth. Is the <laughs> the vibe I get from that line. And uh, proven right because this guy, drunk on love, decides to tell a very inappropriate truth. That's right. Um, to Kira Knightley, who then, after he's done, he walks away. She smiles and, she, and then closes the door. Mm-hmm. At first, which would have been, yeah, which would have been fine. That's that's how that should have ended. Mm-hmm. But what does she do, Joshua? What does she fucking? He's do? walking down the street away, happy with himself, and she runs back down. And I do like the little detail that he had of when he's walking away, he keeps the boombox playing. To, as if, you know, it's fading out. He's just pulling down those faders. Very, very convincing detail, uh, Rick Grimes. And she runs back out into the street f- with him. And then she fucking kisses him and holds him close. And I think she says, Merry Christmas. And then she smiles and then walks away. And then he says, that's enough. Or some, or some shit like that. He's telling himself, he's like, enough. Like, that's enough. enough. But like, in a way that's like, I got enough. I got what I needed. Not like, I want more. Um, oh, oh, I thought he was more saying like... 
you got to stop now. Like, I think it was more like somebody who is ashamed of what they're, they're doing. Really? Cause like, I, th- I thought he was like satisfied enough. with himself. He was like, that's enough. Like, okay, now I got enough. Oh, um, interesting. So I got the, my tank filled. I got my Kieran Knightley tank no, filled. No, I can't accept this because this means this movie has any sense of nuance whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't accept my brain. He, he's uh, so either yeah. he's saying, go ahead. I was say, either he's saying enough because he's, been fulfilled or i thought he was like some guy with a weird addiction he's <laughs> like enough enough evidently you, because here's what i think from that scene is that yeah she kisses him that i guess is like a friendly kiss i suppose but i would no. be okay with that i think i think that she's giving him like a consolation prize yeah exactly which is not okay yeah. either and yeah. um this isn't the end baby like <laughs> he's 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 got his kira knightley tank full but what happens when, when that shit runs empty again nothing good i'll tell you and it's going to be even more destructive this time. What is, what is he going to do? Like fucking July 4th carol singers? Like he, he can't do this again, but he's going to try and it's going to blow up in his face. This is terrible. Who's at the door, honey? Oh, it's just firework singers. <laughs> but we're in England. <laughs> yeah, they, they force 4th of July on the British people. <laughs> That's In the canon of Love Actually, the uh, Revolutionary War actually didn't happen. Oh my God. The, yeah. the British stomped out the rebellion. This takes place, you know, in, in Santa Barbara, actually. Yeah. This whole movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, giving him that kiss just leads him on to think that he's like, again, he doesn't say anything to be like, this is the end of it. Like in those notes being like, I'm not going to do anything else. So that just like gives him even a false sense of hope for somebody who he's in love with for what reason exactly? Mm-hmm. He refuses to talk or interact with her. Yeah. And he claims it's for self-preservation, which fine. What does that mean? But what the fuck does that even mean? That he's worried that if he engages with her more, that he'll fall deeper in love with her. But that just means you just thought she was hot. Like you don't even know her at all. Like that's they it. They literally so have what? never talked ever. But again, not yeah. important. Talking, talking is the least important thing when loving someone. Yeah, exactly. Communication, getting to know somebody on a, on a deeper level than just physical, Mm-mm. not important. Which I guess kind of goes with the whole theme of wedding receptions. Oh, which is everyone's just horned up, baby. That's right. That's right. Everyone's horned up. <laughs> Even through love, a- and have love, actually, everyone's horned up. It lasts multiple weeks. They got horned up from the reception, and then that just you know steam piled its way throughout the entire Christmas season. Evidently, eating dessert, looking for some booty. That's the whole love actually vibe. I'm gonna bring a camcorder to this wedding just so I can fucking zoom in on uh, Dylan secretly. <laughs> so Joshua, I'm just looking for shots of myself in my tuxedo. And I'm like, oh, um. yeah, I, I want a shot of me in a suit that doesn't look blue. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Dylan, I, I erased that. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't even have the tape. Don't look at the tape that says I'm in love with Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, who is it? Carolers. <laughs> what? It's not. It's spring. So there, there is one plot line that doesn't really deserve to be mentioned outside of the reason why I love it, which is the, I think his name is Colin, the Colin plot line, who is a predator, a sexual predator of, of some type. <laughs> and he tries to hit on every single uh, person that's breathing and we hate him. And then he discovers it's not because I'm a crazy jerk that people don't like me. It's because I'm in, I'm in the UK. I need to go to America because uh, American yeah, British women suck. American ladies. That's where it's at. And so yeah. he plans a trip to uh, America. The planning stage of it, for some reason, we have like five different scenes of him saying he's going to go to America. And then he eventually does. The reason why I like this ending of this plot thread is because he goes to Wisconsin, you know, the most American of states. He goes to Milwaukee, actually. 
And when he lands it in Milwaukee, in snow-covered Milwaukee, Santana's smooth immediately starts playing, which is my favorite <laughs> moment of any m- movie that includes smooth. Um, I just want to include it. And he's hype as hell to be in, in Mil- Milwaukee, as the Algonquins call it, uh, listening to Santana. So that, that was one of my favorite moments of the movie. It's kind of played tongue-in-cheek because when he, like, when he lands in America almost instantaneously, like four or like three different absolutely gorgeous American girls just fall for him based simply on the fact that he's British. At like a random dive accent. bar, just a scummy looking dive bar, gorgeous American girls show up. Uh, a younger January Jones is there. and I know. I love that. The, I love looking back her on Her close that. up is as if they know that January Jones is eventually going to be famous for being in Mad Men. It's weird. It's like they just had the foresight to, to understand what was going to happen with January Jones's career. Because at the time, yeah. I don't think she was anybody. But yeah, he, he meets up with three American girls who then, fall, like, they just are incredibly friendly with him and they really like him. And they say, you should stay at our place where we will all share a bed and be naked, actually. So, so many of the romances in this movie break down to lack of communication or weird power dynamics where one person's <laughs> someone's boss and their employee and somehow they get together, mm-hmm. including obviously a prime minister and like the catering secretary. Here's something. the thing. I, I tried to look out for this. He gets in, uh, introduced to his house staff when he becomes prime minister and he moves into whatever that, that famous uh, British White House kind of place is. Um, mm. Downing Street, excuse me. And he gets shown like his butler, his cook or whatever. And then they introduce the lady at the end, the his would-be love interest. But they don't actually say what she does. <laughs> so she, yeah, she, she's an assistant. She brings in snacks sometimes. I don't know snacks and like mail or documents that he needs to like she is not a high level person but high enough that she interacts with the prime minister enough um again he's very inappropriate towards her in like kind of a weird invasive way but she's into it so therefore it's okay (laughs) and the power dynamic is ridiculous obviously but they end up together a lot of different couples end up together um even liam neeson who falls under the other like the one of the two totally inappropriate storylines the movie opens up with a wedding it also opens up with a funeral yes and his wife the duality just of died. life chris the duality of life yeah his wife just died and he's now left with his very young like eight-year-old or no 11-year-old stepson and he doesn't know how to handle the situation it's very it's played very real liam neeson does a good job with the funeral stuff that it's he's very devastated again feels very inappropriate for the beginning of a rom-com but there you go. Again, like Chris doesn't like the storyline. This is the only other storyline that I like. And again, I think it's like one of Liam Neeson being the most human or most charming that he's that I've seen him in in movies. Like I can't really think of a really great Liam Neeson role. People love the gray, but like uh, I'm okay about it. Um, him being a sad stepdad, I like. I no, sorry, I like Liam Neeson mm-hmm. in this role. I don't like the story, the plot line of this. Ah, this I think it's cute. Uh, because the 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 plot is that like. He's trying to reconnect with his stepson. He's like, oh, you must be really sad because your mom's dead. And he's like, yeah, it is. But then also I'm in love. So there is a joke in the funeral. I mean, he does several jokes that nobody laughs at um, <laughs> during, during, the, during the eulogy. He's not a funny guy. He's not a funny he's guy. Not I'm, a not a, guy. I'm not funny. Um, where he mentions that like she was uh, his wife, who was also a jokester, was OK with him moving on under a couple funny conditions. One of them being that Claudia Schiffer go uh, like he brings a date to the funeral being claudia schiffer uh this pays off at the end of the movie when he runs into another single parent presumably single parent who is played by claudia schiffer 
But instead of and like he's like, oh, maybe I can see you around sometime. It's it's not actually Claudia Schiffer; it just looks like her, presumably. But like the way the movie plays it is weird because it's like a emotionally significant mo- moment instead of like a joke. So it's like, is this like a reincarnation of Claudia Schiffer, and this is like a, like a hugely impactful thing? Is it a miracle <laughs> by God, or is it actually a joke? Like, it, it it's really weird. I don't like it. I think it's just that people all look so similar in this movie. It's it's I again it's it's a very strange. I mean, even the moment he literally like ru- like it's a literal meet cute bump into somebody, yes. look up at them and realize you love them kind of thing. Exactly, which again, super shallow. But like it's it's played it's played like seriously like oh maybe this is the beginning of love as opposed to a joke because it is a joke because she is played by Claudia Schiffer. So it's really right. confusing tonally. I'm like, this is, it's almost kind of dark in a weird way where it's like is this a clone of Claudia Schiffer? Is this like? He has a type. That's Claudia <laughs> Schiffer. <laughs> Liam Neeson has a type. Also, just an aside, Mr. Bean shows up in this movie a couple times. At pivotal moments, he is del- <laughs> he is like packaging Alan Rickman's cheating necklace. And then he also shows up at the airport in this storyline when the little kid is trying to uh, run past airport security and he makes the perfect distraction. As soon as he allows the little kid to get by, Mr. Bean looks at Liam Neeson as if he knew what he was doing. Is Liam Neeson some type of deus ex machina uh, god figure in this film? Uh, Mr. Bean, you yes, mean? Yes, Mr. Bean. Yeah, I agree. I think he must be because he he knows what he's doing every time. You know, You think that he's just being like this bumbling character but he's aware of not only himself but the macro world around him he has a god's eye view of love actually and he's sort of running the mechanisms in the background yeah exactly so if you notice you you can see him in the background of every shot (laughs) of every single shot every single shot he is it's mr bean um, I don't know if there's any other plot lines I really have anything to talk about for this movie. I, you know, actually, the movie ends It ends the same way it begins. It begins with a bunch of shots of Heathrow Airport, mm-hmm. and uh, it ends with a bunch of shots of Heathrow Airport. But with our characters arriving, some time has passed since Christmas, and they're all arriving at the airport, and we can see a bunch of the characters greeting each other. Uh, my first question, I guess, is did everyone go on a fucking trip right after Christmas? Right after. Like, every one back. of our. Yeah, within that time. Some people, it doesn't make sense. Like, Severus Snape, Alan Rickman, is coming back from somewhere? I don't know. He was here the last time we saw him. He was confronted as a potential cheater by his wife, so maybe he took some time and, like, left. Ah, good, good, good thinking, good thinking. I guess. And that's the only reasonable, so I guess he, like, left the country. I mean, <laughs> did he leave the country or did he fly, like, did he fly to Wales? No, no one knows. This is just, they're, yeah, they're arriving at the same time, yeah. Yeah, they're all arriving. It's a bunch of greetings, including a couple of the, the characters that are the stand-ins, the film set stand-ins. Porn stand-ins, yeah. They also... They also show up for a moment to tell some like a random friend of theirs that they're get they're engaged to get married, but they don't appear to have arrived at, at, at anywhere like from a trip or, or going on a, a different trip. gate. They came they came in at a different gate because everybody's coming in through like the same door or something like that. But they don't have bags or anything. So did they just like was it a day trip or did they just show up to the airport to tell their friend they're engaged? <laughs> what was their plan? Like why were they there? Also, their friend, interestingly enough, this was the most amazing like oh look it's all connected thing of the movie is that. Their friend was like the porn or move or or just a set set dude who was there. Who is the friend of uh, Colin who goes to America? That's the same guy. The guy that that was like the AD on set. Yeah, the AD is like, oh yeah, yeah, can you please massage her breasts? Can you please uh, do this and do that and take off your clothes? Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. So good. For, I didn't notice it the first time good either. For that movie. Um, uh, this A-plus. movie, yeah. yeah. 
100. It's it's very intricately connected. It's very dense, you know. Every very dense. so much going every on. Every image has so much going on. Um I don't really have anything else to talk about in terms of love actually. I think that so much of it has been like covered, well covered ground. You know, the relationships and all that shit. Uh the wedding I give a D minus to. <laughs> It's not great. It's not a good wedding. It's not a good ceremony. It's not a good reception. People even complain at the reception. So I would want to attend. The food sucks. Yes. Which is stated a few times. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about this movie. (laughs) It's not very good. It's not even my favorite like anthology kind of movie. Like fucking Valentine's Day is better than this shit. And if you've seen Valentine's Day, that ain't no spring chicken either. I have not seen Valentine's Day. Oh, what are you doing? Come on. <laughs> I'm too busy watching Midsummer. All right, and just having my mind expanded. over and over again, dude. That that dude is in that bear. What does that mean? Who knows? Who knows? You know what though? At the at the end of Love Actually, my next uh, suggested movie was Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, you loved Love Actually. Check out Midsummer. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> I'll watch it again, shift. sure. What lessons are to be drawn from Love Actually, look, Joshua? Look out for anybody that has a camcorder at the wedding because they're probably filming somebody that they shouldn't be filming. Not not like a full-on like shoulder camera. I'm talking a camcorder. Camcorder. Shoulder yeah. camera presumably would be the official videographer. Yes. Camcorders. Yeah, I guess that, that's it. I mean, most of the lessons from these movies are just like, look out for your people who you think are your friends that are really trying to steal. <laughs> Is that always the, the, like the common lesson? Like, do not trust your friends at your wedding. Do not whatsoever. People are so influenced by the media they consume, you know, either passively or directly. It sort of just imprints their own view of the world. And I think that rom-coms like this definitely give people that slight edge of paranoia it doesn't fully change them but probably adds a little bit extra paranoia just being like why is everybody that i should supposedly should trust out to get me (laughs) you know uh do not play any flash mob music performances or if you do like it better be good it better be a song that we can't even mention um it better be that that good yeah this movie doesn't do anything original in terms of its uh it's wedding stuff. Cause you're right. I definitely don't do the flash mob stuff, but this is not even the first time we've had to say that, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you've had to say it a ton of times for a ton of different movies. So I think we should go over every one of the movies, um, really quickly and just sort of reiterate what lessons we've learned. Ooh, okay. Okay. So the first movie we did the wedding planner, well, what were the important lessons for the wedding planner? Mm-hmm. Never have well, your wedding planner just spend weeks on weeks on end with your spouse or would be spouse. Right. To keep an eye on that wedding planner and make sure you're involved just as much as your partner is. Yeah. One way or the other. Don't send them on like a trip together. What what the fuck does that do? Yeah. Just don't. Yeah. Don't have them, the wedding planner, take your place momentarily because you have more important business to take care of. Also, don't let your dad uh, match you up with some crazy Italian person. Mm-hmm, exactly. It'll go way too. It will go way farther than you expect it to. And then, of course, a major lesson from the wedding planner: be rich, be fucking rich. Be you don't have rich. to worry. Always be rich. A-B-R. Always be rich. A B R. Always be riching. Episode two: Maid of Honor. Come up um, with coffee cozies, even though apparently everyone else already has. But if you trademark that shit, you're gonna get the money. Mm-hmm, for sure. And again. 
keep an eye on either <laughs> the best man or the maid of honor. They are going to attempt to steal either the bride or the groom, one what? way or the other. Whoever is closest to the wedding, maybe even sometimes like the the uh, bride or groom, they are going to ruin the wedding. They're going to ruin the wedding and get good at basketball, people. That's a big lesson for a wedding guest. Get good at basketball. Whether you think you're going to play it or not, it doesn't matter. It gives you that confidence. Play that basketball edge. with the boys. Okay. With the boys. Basketball with the boys. Episode three would be Wreck Genesis. Well, a lot of lessons to be learned here. For instance, keep an eye out for exits and weapons. <laughs> exits and You don't and know weapons. when a zombie outbreak. Don't be afraid to quarantine like your sweating uncle during on the wedding day. Like if he looks crazy, put it put him in the uh, walk-in fridge. You'll, you'll <laughs> save yourself a lot of headaches. If he looks crazy, he probably is. Stick him in the walk-in fridge. <laughs> That's a lesson. Get that tattooed on your thigh, people. Get that tattooed. Right on, um, your th- on the inside of your thigh. Mm-hmm. And and again, do not celebrate until you're out of danger. Wait till you're out of danger and you're in the clear to celebrate. That goes for every event ever. <laughs> for every event and every uh, moment of your life, too, in general. Mm-hmm. Every moment of your life. Oh, and also, you know, be fucking rich. Be rich. If you're right? going to have like a zombie apocalypse wedding, you might as well have it at like a super rich estate. Yeah, exactly. Your survival is going to be basically insured. There's like a fucking chapel on there. You're good. You're good. All right. Mama Mia. What are some good lessons from Mama Mia? Learn how to sing and dance, I guess, just to be safe. Learn how to sing and dance, but also express your emotions through such singing and dancing. And make sure everyone else can do this, too. Um, (laughs) Make sure that when you are living on a beautiful Italian getaway island, uh, fuck everyone that comes and visits you on your fuck island. And mm-hmm. uh, make sure to never tell said child that gets produced from that fucking uh, who their father is. Exactly. Never tell them. But also, no surprises at this wedding. We don't want any, don't want any, any daddies or moms or, you know, surprise lovers. Don't, don't, no surprises at no this wedding, No one likes people. a substitution wedding. I mean, this happens in this one. It happens in fucking the Christmas wedding planner. Like, people are always like, well, what if a wedding still does happen? Like, no. Fuck that. No. Don't do that. Or though, if you are going to do it, it's probably going to be more interesting than your actual wedding. <laughs> also, don't wear white. That's another one from Mamma Mia. That, that one woman. Lots in the back. of people in that chapel. Yeah, more than her. Yeah. But there's a couple of people wearing uh, wearing white. She just stood out to me because she was so tall and prominent and <laughs> in the forefront. <laughs> Why was she there? <laughs> um. All right, twenty-seven dresses. Oh, also in Mamma Mia, by the way, just be rich. <laughs> be rich. It's a very, like, it's, a, it's an uncommon suggestion, a very, you know, novel idea, but really, be rich. Be rich. All right, 27 dresses. That's 27, be rich. Okay. Um, well, if be you're, rich. <laughs> if your sister is Myla Ackerman, never, like, allow her to be in your life whatsoever. Cut her out. Um, yeah, if you have poisonous family members, don't be afraid of getting rid of them, period. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. Just do it. It's necessary. It, it'll do them as much good as it, as it will you, probably. Um, let's see. Always check if your favorite writer is the person that is like the mischievous guy in your life. Cause that's probably, that's probably what's going on there. Look out for people at the wedding who are writing about this wedding. Any journalists or novelists journalists or anybody, type, anybody in a blazer with like a disheveled haircut and like kind of a wrinkled shirt and a satchel bag. Don't trust them or immediately fuck them. One of the two, one of the two. And you know, again, be rich because it's going to save you a lot of trouble. Be rich. Um, a Christmas prince. 
a Christmas what are some major lessons from Christmas pranks? Your first job, uh, do not be worried about it being a really major thing. If you don't have no experience in your profession, it doesn't matter. Just have it be the most important uh, wedding of your entire no, life. No, 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 no. A Christmas prince. Oh, excuse me. Okay, cut that yeah. part out. I'm so the royal sorry. wedding, the which royal is the wedding. sequel. Yeah, not yeah. a Christmas wedding planner. I'm no, having, no, no. I'm having a fucking stroke right now. Okay, but <laughs> by the way, that lesson you can also apply to a Christmas prince, uh, sort of in reverse, which is your blog is the most important thing in your life. If you become a member of any royal family, no matter what, keep your independence, even if that's impossible. Even if it's impossible. And, fight and irresponsible. It. And irresponsible as well. Yeah. You know you signed up to get married into a royal family with very strict social rules, but break those rules immediately and stand up for yourself. Damn the man. Exactly. Also, uh, there's this thing called embezzling funds. It happens to the best of us. It'll even happen to your country. Don't mm-hmm. trust that anybody has looked into that because apparently no one has. So always follow the money. I think also just let loose at the at the reception let loose and let everybody else get get crazy too let everybody else get loose and of course be rich if you're marrying into a royal family or not being rich then you're not listening to this podcast right okay yeah at least one of you one of the two of you has to be rich has to they just have to all right and then of course uh, a christmas wedding planner a christmas wedding planner okay one always get the blueberry scone first because someone else is going to get it before you, I guarantee That's, That sounds like a metaphor, by the way, but it is not. Joshua means that literally. Get, get the, the blueberry blue. scone because the hot guy that's behind you, who you almost bumped in front of, will take it if you allow him to take your place in line. Don't let that happen. Also, if you're tailing someone, uh, be in a giant white van that's very vis- visible and uh, fall in love with whoever you're ta- tailing that someone with. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time with somebody that you're initially annoyed by and don't like. That way you fall in love. Mm-hmm. That way you mm-hmm. fall in love. And of course, I, I mean, it doesn't hurt, but be rich. It's a good suggestion at this point, I think. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt you at all at, at this point. As a wedding guest, it just wouldn't hurt. I mean, it might you even, can show up to everything. It might even hurt to not be rich. But definitely. I think it definitely hurts you as a wedding guest to not be rich because that means that you probably can't take enough time off and you can't spend lavish lo- amounts of money. Lots of holiday people. activities, uh, yeah. toboggan riding, just to play it safe, be rich. Just, just- and then, of course, uh, Love Actually, movie we just did. I think the biggest lesson is... Um, your best man is in, is, in, is in love with your wife. Is in love with your wife. Factual. Or in love with you. It could go either <laughs> way. Uh, so don't do that. If you're the best man, do not do that. Also, if, if you, you see your best man, who's doing it? If you are the best man, who is doing that? Uh, and you videotape the person you were in love with, l- mislabel the tape that is that recording. Mislabel it on purpose. Have it be Day at the Zoo from 2002, you know? Mm-hmm. Or just leave it blank. Of course. And um, just a little bit of being rich helps too. Just it'll, a little it'll bit of being rich. It'll go longer than you think it will. You know, like it'll it'll help out more than you think it would. Yeah, if you think it's only going to help a little bit, that's fine. It's actually, it actually will help out a lot more than that even. So just a little bit being rich, a little bit being rich. Not too much. Well, no, go ahead and go crazy. <laughs> well, if you want to go crazy about it, be super rich. I, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. I think that like in moderation, these things are, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, go go nuts. Be a little bit rich, be a lot bit rich, but just be rich. As long as you're n- not not rich, that's the important thing. I think if you're going to be rich... Do it six days a week because you need that rest day to recover. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be super rich about it, <laughs> you make sure you're eating enough calories too. Dude, fuck because... this podcast. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All fuck right. This Any other uh, 
any other lessons for this movie? Anything else that you want to bring up about Love Actually or the the episodes we've done so Love far? Love Actually is a very bad movie. <laughs> Love Actually is. I hate <laughs> I hate that that title. I forget. Okay, what did what did I write down? I said Love Actually is all around. I put this in quotes in my notes, and then I immediately wrote, "I hate the fucking title of this movie." <laughs> so just checking in here, Joshua, are you married? Hell no. What about you? No. 